Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. So listeners, this week we have a question. Maybe you could call it a survey. Actually, you could, in fact, call it a survey, just not a representative survey. Well, well, no, let's do this as a Twitter poll on our Twitter account. Yes. That's how we can collect responses. We're going to have a pinned poll on our Twitter account, and that's at the pollsters. Um, So we have so many wonderful interviews queued up. Folks have reached out to us and pitched themselves, which is great. Um, We also have a few fantastic interviews in the can that we recorded, uh, one with Christy Cork, who does research in conflict zones. That was very cool. Um, And one with Peter Shulman, who's the guy who runs at Hist Opinion, where you can find old-timey polling data. Um, and we have other poll, other interviews lined up with uh, someone who works in predictive uh, predictive markets so when it comes to politics, uh, folks who are experts in methodology, um, all kinds of cool stuff. Even the mayor of Tacoma Park, who has worked as a pollster, <laughs> is lined up. So, Amazing. So here's our question. And that is just the beginning. You know, that's not even like a full court press to get everything we could possibly get in terms of interviews. So here's our question. Would you prefer having one long episode that's like roughly an hour that includes the interview. And so that's just one weekly episode, includes an interview, 15, 20-minute interview, plus the rest of all the stuff we talk about. Or two episodes, one that's the regular show and one that's just the interview without any other stuff in it, just the interview separately. So two episodes a week, same content, one longer episode or two shorter episodes or... I don't want so many interviews. <laughs> I only have time for one show and I don't want so many interviews. I just want horse race. I can't. I don't want the rest of it. So that's going to be our Twitter poll. Um, and we'll leave it up for like a week or so and see what people think. So please vote. Okay, so what are the top lines? Uh, top lines. Trump keeps on trumping. Uh, we are moving into the South Carolina Republican primary this weekend. Uh, will Trump win? And will his win carry him beyond into the SEC primary uh, and it, then further into March 15th? We'll also take a look at whether or not Bernie Sanders is cracking through Hillary Clinton's firewall in places like Nevada and South Carolina. The death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia has thrown the balance of the court into question. We'll take a look at polling about what Americans think about the Supreme Court and the justices who serve. And finally, this is a holiday week. Did you celebrate? Did you get President's Day off? Um, we'll take a look at that 
and some other fun polling about things like the Grammys. That's right. So first is our poll of the week.、Um, now fear this, basically. Two different polls that came out in the past week. One of them was actually one of the most popular things on、uh, the pollster's Facebook feed for the week,、um, showing. How scared people are of a President Trump or of a Republican nominee, Trump. So two different polls. One is Canadian. So we know we have lots of Canadian listeners. We've given you guys and gals shoutouts before. So there was a poll in the, I guess it's the paper called Leger. Are you anxious or pas anxious about a Trump president? <laughs> That means worried or not worried. <laughs> I'm glad you speak French.、Oh. Or do you not know? Ne sais pas. Don't know. And 65% say they are anxious. They are concerned.、Um, 23% say, no, pas inquiet.、Um, they're actually more worried in Canada than they are in the States, surprisingly. <laughs> Maybe not a surprise since people are voting for him here. So,、uh, USA Today and Suffolk did a, not exactly the same kind of question, but a similar question. How worried would you be? How would you feel if Trump got the nod, just the Republican nomination? 38% of plurality said scared, 18% dissatisfied, 24% satisfied, 15% enthusiastic. That's overall, voters overall. The numbers for Clinton, I have to say, are not drastically not different. They're not as different as you would expect. I guess, you know. Oh my gosh. These are just really partisan, you know, deep、yeah. partisan divisions. I mean, I, I think,、uh, I think they tested a couple other candidates, but we'll link both all of it to our show notes. But yeah. Canadians are far more worried about Trump than Americans. There's a whole subplot on this past season of South Park that's all about Mr. Garrison, who is one of the main characters in South Park. He basically becomes Donald Trump and is running for president.、Uh, and he wants to build a wall, but the wall is against Canada because Canada plays a fairly significant role in South Park. Just like it does in the president, this presidential、right. race.、Um, and so th- there's this whole subplot of Mr. Garrison running for president, a wall. Blocking out Canada. It turns out Canada has like elected its own Donald Trump, and that's why they've built the wall to like keep people in Canada who are trying to escape. I don't know.、Uh, but anyhow, if, if Donald Trump and Canada and comedy are your thing, check out last season of、right. South Park. Or any Republican debate because. Oh, because we have a Canadian. So we have one Canadian candidate in Ted Cruz, and we have、um, Marco Rubio released an ad that is a beautiful ad,、um, but it uses the Vancouver skyline in it. I see, I didn't like the ad. Yeah, I mean, it tries to be the Morning in America ad. The Ronald, so、uh, for our younger listeners, <laughs> I say condescendingly, ask a millennial.、Uh, there was an ad back in the eighties that Reagan ran, the Morning in America. It was this very uplifting ad, you know. This morning in America, so X number of couples will be married. You know, it's like very happy. It's, it's also Fred Davis, also the guy who did the Deep Machine. It's、team. a Fred Davis ad. Yes. Wow. Okay.、Um, so it's this very uplifting, iconic political ad, and the Rubio campaign remade it. Like it's morning in America, and everything's terrible. <laughs> it's like it's morning in America, and we're waking up on the wrong side of the bed. It's、yeah. a little strange since Rubio is. That's not really his... right. It felt it felt off. But anyhow, the joke is that the opening scene is. Like it's morning in America and it's the sun coming up over Vancouver and there you can see the Canadian flag on the little boat、yeah. in the stock photo that、yeah. they're using. And on my Facebook、oh. feed, someone wrote, "This ad is great because this is where I'll be moving if one of these folks." <laughs> <laughs> 
becomes president, which is always a common old saw that I don't know how many people actually So knew. anyhow, for our Canadian listeners, you all are playing a very prominent get that wall. rising <laughs> prominent role in our presidential Get that wall. Get building. Get building that wall because somebody's coming up there. We're not quite well, sure. Somebody's coming one direction or the other. All right. <laughs> so back now to what's going on on the Democratic side since that's pretty hot when it comes to the next contest, which is this Saturday. We're recording on a Wednesday in Nevada. There's a caucus on the Democratic side. So it's been tough to find polling data on this. I mean, it looked like we would have to just wait all the way to Saturday without a poll. Which you mean seemed, we have to wait for people to actually vote to know who's going to win? It seemed pretty no. depressing. That there sounds was, horrible. I know. I know. Right. And so people had to do things like look at the comments that informed people were saying about what was going on in Nevada, which, you know, is a good second is a good consolation prize, but it is not, you know, replacing the data that we all desperately crave. But in Nevada, it was considered one of the firewalls for the Clinton campaign, Nevada and then South Carolina, which is the following week. Um, and uh, you saw a lot of controversy or a lot of indication that the Clinton campaign was worried about Nevada because somebody on their team said, well, Nevada is mostly white. And we have to wait until we get to more diverse states to see how Sanders does in a more diverse climate. And that really upset a lot of folks in Nevada who say, no, Nevada is pretty diverse. That's why we're up front so we could add more diversity to the primary early voting state, early caucus state lineup. Um, so you had folks like John Ralston, the respected reporter from uh, from Las Vegas, saying, you know, a lot of folks here uh, are suggesting that the race is narrowing. There was a conservative outlet, the Free Beacon, that released a poll. They only only did a poll on the Democratic side that showed the race tied there. People assumed, well, they're just trying to, you know, show that Clinton is damaged and people wanted to dismiss that poll. They weren't doing any polling on the Republican contest, just the Democratic contest. And then on top of that, you had the fact that this caucus is new. You don't have a lot of people voting in it. It's tough to poll. Yeah, caucuses are – it's – we saw this in Iowa, yeah. right, where caucuses with weird – turnout proportions. I mean, I think that the, the turnout in the Nevada caucus is, at least on the Republican side, I think is only 1% yeah, it's of low. registered voters. Yeah, on the Democratic go. side, so, it's like tens of thousands of people, I think. So yeah. it's pretty low. But anyway, all the, all those worries about polling have been wiped away because this morning CNN released a poll in Nevada on both sides. Um, and the Democratic side is tied, just like the Free Beacon poll showed yesterday or two days ago. I mean, it showed basically the exact same result. Um, so we don't need to rely on Twitter, which is a bad predictor of voting sentiment, as you know, as both stating the obvious and research shows. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, what I think was interesting in one of the CNN articles by Jenna Jesta, who appeared on our show, saying, that the difference between whites and non-whites in their primary vote is not as different as it is in South Carolina or nationally. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So anyway, so the bottom line is this race has clearly come to very closely tied. But since Clinton is doing better with past caucus goers and since the turnout is, is so mercurial. This caucus is new. You know, people aren't trained to participate in it, you know, for years and years like they are in Iowa. You know, we don't you know, we know even less about how turnout may end up here than we did 
in Iowa. So, you know, the Republican side, we'll talk about a little bit, I think shows something similar that we've seen everywhere. But the the Nevada Democratic side, I mean, the pollster average has its high. The 538 basically calls it a coin toss. You know, you now have the two polls that I... But you could just do a coin toss. Isn't that how some of these caucuses were decided? Yeah, exactly. Right? (laughs) A coin. Save everybody the trouble. That's right. You could have, you know... John Dickerson or somebody flip a coin and just call it a day, right? So anyway, so th- there's some. We'll link to all the different, uh, uh, you know, links here to the different polls in uh, the show notes as we always do. South Carolina, though, poses another, uh, you know, a real hurdle for Sanders. This just is like, not a close race. This is this not point. a close race currently, even though it's getting closer. So while Nevada is a is a potential warning side for Clinton, South Carolina is going to be a hurdle for uh, for Sanders, and primarily because of this issue of African-American voters. So there's been a lot of talk over the last few weeks, you know, can Sanders do well in a ethnically, racially diverse climate, particularly South Carolina, where a majority of Democratic primary voters are African-American you had right after New Hampshire a whole host of dem- of black Democratic leaders coming out in support of Clinton, the CBC PAC, the political arm of the Congressional Black Caucus, and a lot of other um, uh, black leaders. On the Sanders side, you had, um, you know, some luminaries like Harry Belafonte. Uh, you also had Erica Garner, who is the daughter of Eric Garner, who um, was uh, killed in New York at the hands of police officers in a chokehold. There was a video disclosure. That video was done by my husband's media firm, uh, a four-minute video uh, that folks can look up where Erica Garner tells her story and calls Sanders a protester, saying she supports him because she sees him as a protester. So the question is, where is all this headed in South Carolina or beyond in terms of the African-American vote? I mean, the race is clearly narrowing here where now it's the average at pollster is 60-36, but that's still a pretty big gap. Right. And I remember seeing that people were looking into some of the cross-tabs Take, for instance, younger voters, where we've seen in the last two uh, contests, Bernie Sanders does extraordinarily well with young Democratic caucus goers and primary voters. Um, But they were taking a look. If you take the millennial vote and you break it up by race, that Bernie Sanders does exceptionally well with white millennials, but less well with African-American millennials. So, you know, you have all of these demographic factors kind of intersecting and, you know, not all millennials are the same, not, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But there are these cross pressures where on the one hand, because folks are young. Bernie Sanders has the stronger appeal. On the other hand, young African-Americans, Hillary Clinton still has such strong margins among African-Americans. You know, it's groups like that on which I think a lot of this is going to hinge. But the the cross tabs are so small that it's also hard to know. I mean, the margins of error are enormous when you're looking at a small subgroup of a small subgroup. Right. And are South Carolina African-Americans different from African-Americans writ large or Nevada? Remember, right. you know, Nevada, as we just said, they don't see the same kind of gap uh, of along racial and ethnic lines. Uh, NBC SurveyMonkey released racial crosstabs for their poll. That was national, though, not South Carolina. And there you saw, you know, the race narrowing just a hair, really basically staying the same. Uh, Sanders gaining a, a a little bit among whites, Clinton gaining a little bit among blacks, really kind of margin of error stuff. They saw that younger African-Americans were more supportive of Sanders than older African-Americans, but the gap still was heavily in Clinton's favor with both groups. So the question is, is there room for, is there room to grow here for Sanders? Sure. Is it, is there enough room to grow 
um, you know, in time for some of these early contests where people are going to be making up their mind about what, where the race is going next. That's that's what we don't know. And in terms of the national polls on the Democratic side, and, and I'll make this point about the Republican side too, we've been in this moment where, OK, we've got Iowa. Iowa happens. It's like a standalone. New Hampshire happens. It's a standalone. South Carolina happens. It's a standalone. Like we're about to hit a flurry of activity where all of a sudden you've got like eight primaries happening on the same day. Right. Or t- you know, where that day would be March 1st. March 1st is the Super Tuesday or SEC primary or whatever you want to call it. Um, and – so all of a sudden, these national polls are going to come in handy, I think, because we're going to be talking about states where candidates have not been able to invest so much time exclusively in one state. Like something like New Hampshire, you needed the individual poll because somebody like Bernie Sanders, you know, so strong there, it's right next door to Vermont, or somebody like John Kasich spending so much time and money there. But right. as you move into these states where like no one's been able to spend a ton of time organizing in Texas, you know, for right. instance. Um, or, you know, Florida or Ohio, like these are states that nobody's paying attention to right now, but less than a month from now are going to be handing out huge chunks of delegates. So these national polls, which up until this point, people have said, I ah, don't pay attention to them, don't pay attention to them, don't pay attention to them. I actually think they're going to become more valuable for us as a marker right. because we don't have a ton of good polling in so many of these states and there's just not enough money in many of these media organizations to rigorously poll every state right. in the SEC primary day. Right, exactly. Are they going to go to every state and do each side in each state or are they going to pick, okay, we're going to look at the Republican right. primary in these and states? And the candidates and- won't be able to focus as much. So these national numbers are, I think, going to become a slightly better guidestone for right. us understanding where the race moves forward. And, you know, Gallup released something which is pretty interesting and, and you don't have that much uh, else out there looking at the favorables among Democrats by race and ethnicity for Clinton and Sanders. And they look at white Democrats, black Democrats, Hispanic Democrats. Um, and, uh, you know, not surprisingly, Clinton is more popular with African-Americans. Also, she has a higher, much higher hard ID with all groups. That's obviously not a surprise. Um, but Sanders is more popular among those who know him with whites and Latinos. But he still has room to grow in terms of his hard ID. Thirteen percent of whites don't know him enough to rate him. A third of blacks and almost half of Latinos yeah. don't know him. Now, the other thing is that I guess to get up to that sample size where they could look at that, they had data over the course of a month, January 13th to February 13th. So this is a fast-moving race. It's hard to look at some of these subgroups with enough statistical power behind them, or you're looking at something that's a little bit old, or you're combining a bunch of waves. It's it's hard to really get as firm of a read on this stuff as, as we all want and need. And so that's just one of the tricks when you're kind of looking at you know, are you looking at conventional wisdom? Are you looking at polling? Is the polling up to date? Is the polling national? Th- these are some of the questions that are, you know, you, there is no perfect set of data currently to examine this in detail. Well, let's turn to the Republican side. And then there were six. Uh, I think it was shortly after we finished, ra- we wrapped our show last week that both Carly Fiorina and Chris Christie bowed out of the race. So we are, we have now narrowed the field, but it is perhaps still not narrow enough. So somebody in my Facebook feed does like a like a Hunger Games thing every time somebody, somebody <laughs> leaves. Like they fire the cannon and they put the face up. <laughs> like District 6 by every time somebody drops out and 
And it is enormously popular, as you can imagine. Uh, yes, I need to find this. Um, so on the Republican side, Trump is going to Trump. Uh, he is at 38.8 percent in the Huffington Post pollster average, trailed very distantly. He is over 20 points ahead of Ted Cruz, who is in second place in the national polling averages. Uh, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio very close. Marco Rubio about 16 percent in the national polling averages. And then is trailed by Ben Carson, Jeb Bush, and John Kasich. And I, the assumption, I think, is that both Jeb Bush and John Kasich, they may hang around for a little while. I suspect John Kasich would hang around until March 15th, see if he can win his own state. But if right. it seems like he's going to lose his own state, maybe he drops out before then. Same thing with Jeb Bush. If Jeb Bush, it seems like he's going to do really badly and his you know, state of Florida. Maybe he drops out to save face before then. I think Ben Carson, it's really time after South Carolina. That'd be my, I know he's not yeah. asking me for political advice, but that would be my I, yeah, I, advice I, for him. I, it doesn't seem like he wants to be running anymore. No. Maybe from that last debate performance. Um, but, and, but so then the question is, where do all of these, if Jeb Bush, Ben Carson, and John Kasich all dropped out tomorrow, who would their votes go to? And I the idea that they would all go to Marco Rubio, I think, is completely flawed. Right. Completely flawed. I, I think that a lot of Jeb Bush's vote would go to Marco Rubio just because if you're a Jeb Bush voter, that's the closest to your flavor, even though yeah. there's so much animosity now between those two camps. Mm -hmm. But John Kasich, I mean, he's got kind of this working class guy appeal. I can see some of his folks going to Trump, probably not to Cruz. And then Carson, I can see a lot of his folks kind of splintering all three ways. Absolutely. Do I want an outsider? Do I want someone who's big with the evangelical community? Right. Do I want a nice guy with an uplifting message? You know, I don't – Carson people could split all three ways. Yeah. So the idea that, ah, oh, well, if the, if it narrowed to a three-man race, well, that that's how the establishment will take out Trump. Like, nope, not when Trump's at 39 percent in the polling averages. That's that's not how this is going to work. Um, you have the latest poll morning consult Trump at 41, Rubio at 14. Um, Quinnipiac had Trump at 39, Rubio at 19, Cruz at 18. So Quinnipiac has the race a little closer for second, closer yeah. to Trump, I guess. I mean, but it's. For distant second, the he, race. He's going to be. He's going to be the Republican nominee, Margie. I mean, like, this I'm, is like a I'm, slow-moving crash. You know that we're just like, no, it's no, happening. Don't do it. I, I mean, it, you know, I found a tweet of mine from August tenth, twenty fifteen, where I said, "I am oscillating between the primary so far away, voters. This isn't going to happen." And oh my gosh, this is the apocalypse. Yeah. And that this is August 2015. I was like bouncing between those two emotional extremes. And I'm like, well, we know how it turned out. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> we know how the movie ends. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the apocalypse. It is the apocalypse. don't I mean, like Trump. No, I mean, the apocalypse is really like him putting his proposals into action. I mean, that's the real apocalypse, which we have to take him for his word, not that he just is looking for applause and then he's going to be more moderate in office. Who, but, I mean, well, but he says he might be. At any rate, I, so the, um, the Washington and Lee University does a mock convention every four years um, where they pretend to be the party that is out of the White House mm -hmm. and they stage a convention that they try to make as accurate as possible a reflection of what the Republican or Democratic convention will be like. Right. And the students learn – like hundreds of students participate. They learn what – the nominating process is like they they each represent a different state and they have to accurately predict, OK, if I am the delegate from Florida based on the polls, if the convention were held today, who are Florida's delegates going right. to? And well, that's easier because you guys don't have 
super. We don't have super delegates, so I think our process is a little. I think at they, least not quite as. But but this Washington and Lee mock convention, they've been doing this for. It's the twenty sixth time they've done it. They've wow. been doing it forever, forever. Wow. It's a huge yeah. tradition there, and they picked Trump. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this is not like the students' opinion. It is them trying to accurately predict right. how they think the delegates will fall. Do so they have a broker convention? Well, uh, I think, yes. I mean, the idea is that I, I think you have. Oh, right. They had to, you like, know, actually, as opposed to just have the voters figure it out. They had to all negotiate. Well, like, the, but the, well, I, I assume this, what the students do is they, you know, they, I, I don't think it was unanimous going in necessarily. Like, the students were asking me, how do you, how do you think this should go? And my advice was, I think Trump is both the likeliest nominee and there's probably less than a 50% chance that he's actually the nominee so that's right. not helpful either like but you you probably won't be going wrong if you predict Trump and <sighs> i think one of the only times they've been wrong recently was t- 2008 i think they predicted Hillary Clinton to be the nominee mm. on the democratic side mm. which again the democratic side has all the super delegates and whatever so it's it's a whole different thing and but. this week's we're not going to go into super delegates today cuz it's just simply not time for us to get worked we'll up about there. that. We'll get there. <laughs> we may not get there, but if we do get there, we'll we'll talk about it. But this week's 538 podcast does talk about superdelegates. So if you just can't wait for a second longer, <laughs> you can listen to their show released, I think, today or yesterday that they go into in a little bit more detail. Um, you know, the other thing that I thought was interesting, right? So Trump, I mean, there's always this question is like, can, you know, is there something Trump can say or do that will finally once and for all Maybe turn if Trump's voters? a 9-11 truther. Right. That was the nope. la- that was the last thing. Like, nope. what if he criticizes George W. Bush in South Carolina or, you know, during the South Carolina primary? I don't know where the la- was the actual debate. It was in South Carolina. Anyway, so he criticized George W. Bush, who, not surprisingly, is very popular with Republican primary voters in South Carolina, according to the latest PPP poll. Um, but that doesn't seem to be doing anything to Donald his. Donald Trump is popular with Republicans who hate the Republican Party. He is fireproof. <laughs> he is he, fire resistant. <laughs> he is. He is both a flaming train wreck and fireproof at the same time. No. Um, yeah. Right now, the uh, the polling averages have him at 37 percent trailed distantly by Ted Cruz at 20.6 percent and Marco Rubio at 15.4 percent. Jeb Bush does better in South Carolina than he does nationally um, at 9.1 percent. Polling averages actually have Ben Carson doing pretty poorly in South Carolina, which, again, is why we suspect perhaps he will drop out after yeah. South Carolina if he comes in last place. John Kasich, I think, is the interesting wild card because he did get second place in New Hampshire. Is he able to ride that plus his, you know, his debate performance where he was trying to be like, guys, guys, everybody be nice. Would he absorb some Carson voters Mm -hmm. who think Carson doesn't have a chance, but Kasich is the only other one that's trying not to engage in the food fight. So maybe I'll go with Kasich. If he beats Bush, that would be quite a win. I I don't know if that I don't know if that'll happen. But if he does beat Bush in South Carolina, that would be quite a big moment for him. But it doesn't seem likely given, you know, given that that seems like a good Bush territory. He's from neighboring Florida. His brother, again, popular with primary voters, came out and campaigned for him. So it would be highly right. unusual if Kasich When we were looking Bush. at the polls in New Hampshire, though, we were like, ah, I'm really excited to see who comes in second and third. Like Trump being first was a foregone conclusion. And so, oh, who's going to get second and third? The more and more that I'm looking at you know, the South Carolina polls and the polls beyond, second and third are actually not as interesting to me anymore because – if you're not winning yeah. states, you're not going to be the nominee. Right. That's right. Trump is ahead. It's not like there's some everywhere. other person rotating number one. It's going to be Trump everywhere. Yeah, so it's, it's Trump and Cruz. 
kind of switching off for first right. and second in a lot of these, you know, March 1st polls. But it's just I am no longer as enamored of like, oh, my gosh, let's figure out who's going to get third place in South Carolina because it's just starting to feel like it doesn't matter anymore. No. But here's Trump's what Trump. Here's what is fairly interesting though, which is the latest PPP poll in South <laughs> My Carolina. My favorite troll pollster. This was pretty. This was some serious poll trolling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's all kinds of stuff in here, right? So 70% think the Confederate flag should still be flying. Okay. Um, 38% of Trump voters say they wish the South had won the Civil War. Compared to only 24% glad the North had won, 38% not sure how they feel about the Civil War. That's pretty serious. 36% of Republican primary voters are glad the North emerged victorious. So that's, I mean, I don't know if that's surprising or not, but it is, you know, it is newsworthy, right? By an 80-90 spread, Trump voters support his Muslim ban. Okay, 31, that's not a surprise. 31% would support a ban on homosexuals entering the United States, which I'm pretty sure nobody's proposed, thankfully, not yet. Um, compare, no, no one else's voters supported that, though. Um, 17% is the highest of any other candidates' yeah. voters. Uh, 62-23 among Trump voters, 62% support creating a national database of Muslims, and 40%, that's a plurality, support shutting down all mosques. Again, these are things that nobody is proposing. They are shocking. They're outrageous. 44% of Trump voters think the practice of Islam should be, shouldn't even be legal. Oh, no, 33% say it should be illegal. Sorry. Anyway, these numbers are really shocking. I right. mean, and it, I, for me, I would ever, this is, I say this every time we talk about one of these PPP troll polls. Like I, in Slack, in, uh, in Echelon Slack yesterday, my business partner Patrick posted like a screen grab of one of the cross tabs where they asked a question like, do you think that the white race is the superior race? And in the cross tabs, it was the very liberal respondents right. who were the most likely to say yes. Yeah, but there weren't that many right. very liberal Republican primary Correct. voters in the poll. They just, you know. But there's so there's an element there of like people who just troll on these IVR polls. Like, I mean, I, look, I'm not saying that yeah. Trump voters that there are Trump voter that there are not Trump voters out there that do not hold disturbing beliefs or who are just willing to be like, sure, I'm on board with whatever crazy, it. unconstitutional, disastrous idea you've thrown at me. But I I am always kind of like throwing side eye at polls like this. Like, uh, okay, I don't. I don't really believe that there are that many people that are like, let's ban LGBT people from coming in, like, or close down all mosques. You yeah, know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, so these are a third of Trump voters in who are Republican primary voters. So it's you know, it's not all of America. It's not all of the South. Um, it's not all of South Carolina. It's not all of Republicans in South Carolina. However, you know, and so that's one piece of good news. The other thing is, are you giving kind of air and oxygen to these beliefs by asking people questions and then talking about it? Are you then making, are you legitimizing it? Or like, oh, I'm allowed to believe that because 33% of people believe yeah. this horrible thing. Or are you, you know, or are we identifying where the line is when we all react in horror and say, oh, my God, that's outrageous? Are you saying, OK, well, that's the line? Well, but as you noted, isn't it? It's the case that people supporting other candidates are not on board with yeah. these policies. It's like, like I said, Trump is not. What frustrates me is that Trump is redefining how people think of the Republican Party, despite the fact that he himself is just such a weird anomaly that right. is the kind of guy who wins 
people who vote in Republican primaries but hate the Republican Party. Well, and there's also – In addition to hating a whole lot of other things. Right. And there's also this like embracing of his demeanor being crass and bombastic and aggressive. And we did – at Purple, we did another one of our focus groups with Bloomberg Politics last week in South Carolina – and there's some clips of that that you can uh, watch online. We'll link to in the show notes that people say, well, we think Trump will be the nominee. We think he's going to win South Carolina, but we're supporting Cruz. We support Cruz because Cruz, he seems like a pit bull, but he's not crass in the way and unprofessional in the way that Trump is. And they showed some clips of, you know, Trump cursing and cursing up a blue streak, as we say. And people thought, well, that's just really not very nice. And so there are voters in South Carolina who are recoiling at that. You know, at that demeanor and saying this is just really not appropriate. But there's Donald enough. Trump is not a southern gentleman. No, but there's enough folks who say, yeah, sure. You know, let's just stick it to the man, whether yep. in a poll or through my vote. So anyway, we'll find out. The South Carolina primary for Republicans, though, is this weekend. It's Saturday. It's and then Saturday. the Democrats is a week later, right? Yes, yes. So that for some reason, Nevada and South Carolina are switched by parties just to make it. Confusing for everybody. Nevada, Democrats and South Carolina Republicans at the same time. And then they switch the order the following week. But then I think for the rest of the primaries, it tends to be a little more lined up. Yes. Yes. Well, interesting stuff. Next time we talk, we will know if the Trump train has continued to leave the station. (laughs) I I suspect we will find it has. All right. Well, let's turn to the other big news from this past week. Um, On Saturday, uh, the sad news of the passing of uh, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia at age 79 uh, really threw uh, the rest of American politics into turmoil um, in in large part because there's now a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Uh, President Obama will uh, put forward a nomination. Um, The Senate at the moment, uh, Mitch McConnell has suggested they will not hold hearings um, or, or discuss the nomination. We will see how this all plays out. Um, so there's not a ton of good polling at the moment on how Americans feel about this particular... There will be. I'm there sure. will be. I'm sure we will it's have not some... the last of this topic. That's it is for not. sure. Um, the, the last poll that I found uh, on, on a topic that was somewhat relevant was Gallup did a poll in September. Um, so remember, September is right after you had the big ruling on same-sex marriage that came down. Um, and you also had the ruling in King versus Burwell. So if, if you were sort of on the left, you probably liked a lot of the rulings that right. came down from the Supreme Court this summer. And so Gallup asked in September, uh, do you believe that the Supreme Court is too conservative, too liberal, or about right? And 20% of Americans said they thought the Supreme Court was too conservative. And then 40% said that they thought it was about right. And then 30, I think it was 37% said that they thought the court was too liberal. So you have a plurality saying that they think the court's balance was like about right. Um, and then, of course, again, because so many of the decisions over the summer were ones that the left was probably happier about than the right, um, you did see this sort of 37 percent-ish saying they thought the court was too liberal. The reason why I bring that up is I think that has a lot to do with the politics of how this is playing out. Like I really – I may be crazy, but I feel like if Justice Ginsburg had retired, that the politics of can Obama fill the seat, should Obama fill the seat, should the Senate not pick somebody, I do feel like the politics would be different for the GOP if the question was – does the court keep the same balance yeah. or does this move the court ideologically yeah. in one direction or yeah, the other? Yeah, sure. You know, but the question is not the politics. I mean, the question is ultimately the politics, but the question shouldn't be the politics. The question should be what's the Constitution saying, given that, you know, you have a lot of folks who in other 
moments say I'm a strict constitutionalist now saying, well, hold on, you know, let's let's inject some. Po- you know what this needs? This needs more politics. <laughs> I, my, the, the whole last <laughs> gets 72 hours have just been a cavalcade of like, here's a clip of Chuck Schumer saying one thing and then saying the other thing. Here's a Republican saying one thing when they were in one side of this debate and now the other thing on the other side of this. Debate. Yeah. So yeah. always, always an adventure. Always tons of fun. So meanwhile, while everybody uh, probably listening to the show n- n- knew Scalia enough to ha- have rate him one way or the other, favorable, unfavorable. That's not actually you true. You listeners are so smart. Because you guys are super engaged. Um, but, you know, that's not necessarily true with voters. So that's an important reminder that, you know, just over half, according to Gallup from last year, know Scalia well enough to give him some sort of rating. His favorables um, have worsened over the years and his unfavorables had risen. That's probably just because all institutions were have been taking a beating. The Supreme Court in particular maybe a more dramatic fall than some others like Congress, which is always, you know, a fun institution to kick around. Um, and the other thing that I thought was pretty interesting that Gallup showed is that Scalia's favorables and his hard ID are really not very different from Roberts or Kennedy. They're basically the same. Yeah, when you take a look at the net favorable ratings of Scalia um, going back to 2001 and you look at them by party, um, back in 2001, again, you know, this was around the time where you had Bush v. Gore was the big case that was probably on everybody's mind thinking about the Supreme Court. So if you said Supreme Court Justice X, you know, Republicans had a net 42 percent or net net uh, favorable rating of 42 percent more favorable than unfavorable. Um, and for Democrats, it was only a net favorable right. of five. Uh, when you fast forward to the present, um, for Republicans, that net favorable had fallen from 42 to six. Yeah. And I think that that's you know, it's not that I don't think Scalia moved to the left on the court whatsoever. Um, it doesn't seem that way. No, I think it's that when you put the phrase Supreme Court justice in front of someone's name, most Americans are not differentiating between the justices. And so as a result, you just hear Supreme Court justice and you project onto them your feelings about the court overall, which is is then further explained right. by the fact that Scalia, Roberts and Kennedy, all of whom have very – Scalia and Roberts are more similar, but you have a lot of conservatives now that are like, oh, Roberts sold us out on Obamacare. Right. So you know, there are people that follow this stuff real closely that have – very serious opinions about the differences between the justices, that is not the norm, right? as we can see in the polling. So we'll see how this evolves because for sure there's going to be a lot of polling next week on this and then for weeks and months to come. So normally we end the show with lots of, you know, pop culture, funny bits. And we didn't really do too much of that last time, even though there was tons of stuff to do. And it looks like you guys, based on the polling, might have forgotten all about this all these things, too. So there was President's Day, Valentine's Day, and the Grammys. Rasmussen shows that um, <laughs> President's Day is one of the least important holidays, according to the polls. Only 11% of American adults believe President's Day is one of the most important holidays. Almost three times as many say it's one of the least important holidays. Um, so that's probably not a surprise. The Grammys, which were Sunday, correct? Aside from the Hamilton piece, which I still haven't seen, Normally, I haven't either because I'm trying to be in a complete Hamilton free zone sensory deprivation. Yeah, until I'm you go seeing see it, it in July. Here or in New York? In New York in July. And so okay. I have to wait months 
I can't listen to it. I can't yeah. look at anything about it. It's tough. None of you all listeners tweet anything about it. It's tough. I know. I'm trying to do the same thing, but I don't even have tickets. I'm just, I don't know why. I'm just sticking myself in the eye with a fork to try and <laughs> deprive myself of Hamilton for some reason. But other than that, the Grammys are pretty met in terms of the polling. And this is from YouGov. 68% I don't care about. Any of the award shows, uh, 9% only say they care the most about the Grammys. 72% say I don't usually watch the Grammys. 88% say it doesn't matter how I feel about the music. You get the idea. People say, I don't really care about the Grammys, which is, you know, I care about the Grammys only to the extent that it is helping someone achieve an EGOT. Have you ever seen that episode of 30 Rock about the EGOT? Oh, yes. Where Tracy Jordan wants to win the (laughs) Emmy, the Grammy, uh, the Oscar, and the Tony in his lifetime. Can you achieve the EGOT? Yes. Um, So... That's the Grammys are interesting to me in that regard. And Whoopi Goldberg, when he wants to go talk to Whoopi Goldberg, because she, I think, has received, has was able to do it. Oh, she's had an ego. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I think so. Anyway, but um, that's pretty funny. So yeah, most people say, "Meh, I don't really care." And then Valentine's Day, actually, people do care a little bit about it. And NRF, National Retail Federation, always a source of fun polls around the holidays. They, for the first time, they ask consumers about receiving experiences, which is my favorite gift to both give and receive. And part of it is because I just have too much clutter. I'm constantly throwing stuff out. So I like experience rather than stuff. Um, So a quarter said that they plan to give the gift of experience like tickets to a concert or an art lesson. That's quite an experience. Or um, a spa service. Those are all nice. I received the gift of doing 95 hours of crafts with my daughter over the weekend because it was a snow day, which is not, not quite the experience I had on my list. <laughs> but it was really great. She, like, wanted to set up an art store in the living room, and she taped up every single piece of art she'd done over the past year. It's now my Twitter banner photo, and we made signs like art store opens today, you know, opening day today. Nice. And nice. Um, we made a commercial and she even said, daddy makes better commercials than you. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> How do you way, know that? But okay. <laughs> in a way, it's good that she thinks that since that is his job. That is his job. So that's fair. And I'm just using my iPhone. <laughs> I, like, I would be deeply concerned if I had a child who was like, daddy does better polls than you. It's like, yeah, but daddy no, doesn't. I was like, you're right. Yes. (laughs) All right. So, what did we learn this week? So, the Democratic race is narrowing, but can it narrow fast enough for Sanders? And the Republican race is winnowing, but can it winnow enough to defeat Trump? No. (laughs) And whatever candidate you fear, we all fear week long stretches without polling. Soon, the other half of America will be hearing a lot more about the late Justice Scalia. And did you miss the Grammys or President's Day? Polls show, like us, you probably did too. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters. Individually, we are at Kaisel to Sanderson and at Margie O'Mero. You can find us at thepolsters.com or on Facebook, where throughout the week we will post links to the stories that we think are interesting and we think you'll find interesting as well. Be sure to subscribe to us on whichever podcatcher you choose, Stitcher, iTunes, etc. Don't forget to write a review if you have not done so yet. We love to hear from you. And don't forget to vote in our Twitter poll about whether or not you would like us to see us You would like to see us split the show up into an interview segment and a shorter polling segment each week. Great. Thanks. Have a good week. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah. Got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. 
Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.